Welcome to the second episode of From Fear to Faith, a podcast series of Desiring Truth with Anne Absalom. Father, we pray that as we listen to your word, may you help us to be doers and hearers of your word. Amen. I, um, <clears throat> I think we started or we finished session one with um, uh, my saying that uh, misplaced fear and anxiety are the work of the enemy who is looking to destroy us. Um, and that simply knowing that is not enough, really, to stop us being afraid and to be anxious. Fear is actually a gift from God. It's um, something that's intrinsic to humanity and it causes us to run to him when we are faced with things that are out of our control, which is most of our lives. And so uh, fear in, in and of itself is not, is not sin. It's not something that we are to be ashamed of. Um, anxiety is not something we're to be ashamed of. Being anxious for something means to be full of care about something. And so uh, to care for those we love, to care for um, right things, that's a good thing. And so it's not necessarily that uh, being anxious, being afraid is sinful. It's that what do we do when we feel that anxiety and that fear? And that's what um, the whole Bible is is talking to us about, actually. As I said last time, that uh, instruction, do not be afraid, is the most common command in Scripture. And the reason f- that we are not to be afraid is that when we are afraid, we tend to, um, our mind gets into a tailspin. Uh, being afraid or being anxious affects our um, physical well-being, our mental well-being, our emotional health, all of it. And so when we are afraid, when we start to become anxious, us in a way that is too is wrong. We need to remember that God has uh, given us these things, given us this fear instinct, so that we run to Him. And when then we are afraid, I think I read from uh, the Psalms last time. Uh, when I am afraid, David says, I will put my trust in you. And that's what it is. God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. So for those of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus, we can know that God is with us 100% of the time. He's with us all the time. He has promised that he will never leave nor forsake us, that there's nothing that we go through that we will have to go through alone. And so what we uh, what we need to train our minds to do is to keep that truth in the front of our mind so that uh, when we go about our daily lives and we're faced with situations or people or circumstances that just are uh, frightening, we learn and it becomes almost uh, a habit to us that we immediately uh, take that fear to the Lord and um, ask him to help us to respond in a way that will honour him and bring him glory. Um, I uh, thought that on the second session we would start by taking a look at um, how Jesus modelled that for us. I don't know if you've ever seen those bumper stickers. They have them in the States. Um, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it's almost as if that's we've got to conjure up what he would do. But actually, we know what he would do in every situation because we have uh, the truth about him written down in the Bible, in the Gospels particularly. We have 
all that Jesus did whilst he was on the planet, whilst he walked in a human body. And um, and so I thought we'd start uh, in this second session by taking a look at what he did, how he showed us the way to, um, to live, actually, and to respond to those things that make us afraid. Uh, I wanted to start in Matthew um, 26, uh, because it's here that Jesus is um, hes going to show us the ultimate uh, fear, really. Um, Jesus has been with his disciples for um, three years, and it's coming up to his the time of his crucifixion. This uh, that we're going to read in Matthew 26 is the time just before his arrest and his um, uh, and has been taken um to, to the crucifixion, to the cross. And he's with his most, uh, his closest disciples. He's actually um, uh, with the 11. Um, by now, Judas has already gone and uh, to betray him. And Jesus is going to spend time with these disciples. It's almost a, a really intense training for discipleship. And uh, he's, he's going to do this with them because he wants them to know how to take out the truth to all of those people who will believe through their message. That's actually ultimately you and I. We have believed through the witness of those disciples as they passed it on, passed it on, passed it on. We have um, now, 2,000 years later, we are believing what they actually wrote down and told us and lived out um, about the Lord Jesus. And what we're going to read in Matthew 26 is uh, this uh, account of Jesus suffering the same fear that we suffer. So Matthew 26 from verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. This is um, actually quite an amazing um, account of Jesus. And Luke will tell us in Luke 22, verse 42, that um, Jesus prayed. He, and he will say, look, uh, in Luke 
Lord, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And I think it's quite incredible, actually, that what we're shown here is the is the uh, proof, if you like, that Jesus really was not just 100% God, but he was 100% human. And he felt every temptation, every emotion, every he went through every trial and every test that human beings go through. That was necessary for him to be able to be our substitute. Not only did he die the death that we would die, face the judgment of God that we would have to face, but he lived through the temptations uh, that we, all of us, face, yet he did not sin. Uh, Hebrews will tell us that he was tempted in all things, yet without sin, and therefore he was tempted to run when faced with um, a circumstance or a situation that he did not want. And here we find him, instead of running, instead of um, turning away and saying, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, and I'm, I'm not going to do it. Here we see him taking his fear, his anxiety, his concern, his grief, actually. He says he's distressed and grieved, taking it to his father. And he prays what you and I would pray. He prays that God would take the cup away from him. Make no mistake, Jesus understood exactly where he was going and he knew the depth of the pain, the spiritual, emotional, mental and physical pain that he was going to go go through. a pain that we could never understand. He was going to face a separation from God that, uh, so that you and I, who believe in him and put our trust in Jesus, will not ever have to face. And that, he knew, would be the most terrible thing. And so he comes to his father and essentially he's saying, is there another way? Is there a way? Because this death fills me as a human being with dread and And if it's possible, let there be another way. Satan has come to him, you see, with the reality, the reality of what he's going to to have to go through. And he is tempting Jesus to, uh, to, to change or to try to change the plan and the purpose of God. He had come to him before. Satan was constantly testing and tempting Jesus. Uh, Right at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 4, we read that um, after his baptism, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Matthew 4, from verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. He had come to Jesus with what looked like the easy route. Look at how he begins. Um, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. And Satan has come to him with, uh, turn these stones into bread. Um, And Jesus answers him, man shall not eat. Uh, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Look at that, you see, the temptation that we have always to uh, give in to our flesh, to give in to those desires that we have, legitimate desires often, but uh, desires that take us along a road that is far from God. Here, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, and he's weak and hungry, and Satan comes and and says, you can eat, you can eat, turn these stones into bread. Do what you can do. And Jesus says, no, I am living by the word of God. I am putting my trust in the word of God. I am not going to try to take an easy route out of here. He wanted, he, uh, he, he gave Jesus the, the, uh, the ability to immediately have what he needs. But Jesus knew that he had to trust the plan of God for his life. Well, what I want to ask is, what about you? What about you? What about me? When we um, are tempted by our desires, when we are tempted to have something immediately and not wait for um, the purpose of God and the plan of God to be worked out in our lives. Do we just rush and do what we want, feed our flesh as it were? Or do we say no to those desires? Why? Because I have decided to live according to the plan and the purpose of God for my life. And then Satan comes again. And it's so interesting to me in this uh, Matthew 4 that, that Satan comes now with the word of God. Jesus has said to him, man does not live uh, by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so Satan, clever as he is and deceiver that he is, he comes again now with the word of God. And he says, throw yourself down from the te- pinnacle of the temple. And he then quotes scripture to Jesus. Um, And Jesus comes right back with, yes, but it is also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. One of the things that I've known, uh, realised as I've um, been studying the word and reading the Bible for so long, 20 years actually, since I was first a Christian, is that um, uh, the whole Bible connects that uh, it's almost like one of those pictures. I don't know if you had it in your childhood, but we I had it in mine. I used to like them. These connect the dots pictures. You know, you have this uh, page and there's dots and you you connect the you connect the dots with your pencil and you end up with a fairly intricate picture on the page. And uh, that's that's the Bible. And God wants us to connect the dots. He wants us to read from the Old Testament, from Genesis through to Revelation, and see the threads that run through and see the picture that he is drawing for us in there, the picture of who he is, of who he is, of who the Lord Jesus is, and of who we are in him. And so what happens when we, when we take one scripture, one verse, one uh, truth from scripture, and we pull it out and we say, right, 
God says this, so I'm going to use it as, as Satan is. Uh, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Actually, that is written in scripture. That is a truth that God has said. But Jesus knowing, he, because he has already connected the dots, because he is the dots, Jesus is the word of God. He knows that you cannot take a scripture in isolation. You have to take the whole of the truth of God and, and hold it. And so what he, Jesus comes back with is, yes, but it also says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan, of course, comes again um, with his final um, with his final temptation, um, takes him up to a high mountain and says, I'll give you all of this if you worship me. And oh, the temptation of that, to have everything in the whole world if only he would worship Satan. I'm not saying that Jesus would have ever done it, but I'm saying that if he was tempted with it, that means it looked appealing to him. It looked appealing, and he withstood that temptation. Do you remember way back, if you've read Genesis chapter 3, you know that Adam and Eve are in the garden, and Eve, uh, Satan comes to Eve and shows her this uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the fruit on that tree and he, he says to Eve take from that tree and eat and God knows that in the days that you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will know good and evil and actually that's the truth God didn't know that in the day they ate from it they would know good and evil and instead of Eve saying um, no uh, we're not to do that she was tempted uh, says that she looked and she saw that the fruit was um, desirable to eat and good for making one wise. And so she took and she ate and she gave it to her husband, Adam, and he also ate. And of course, then began the, the great separation of the human race from God. Um, so Jesus comes along and here in the wilderness, he does what Adam and Eve did not do. He decides, chooses, even in the face of temptation, even at his weakest, lowest point, he's 40, been 40 days without food and uh, without drink. And even then he says, no, I am going to fulfill the plan and the purpose of God for my life. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because he knows that the plan and the purpose of the sovereign creator God is the best plan and purpose and I, I have to ask myself the question, is that, my, uh, is that my thinking? Do I know that? Do I trust that God's plan is the best for my life? Do I really believe that God has a purpose for my life and that that purpose and that plan is being worked out in my life on a daily basis? And will I trust him to do that? Or do I want to um, take things into my own hands? Do I decide, you know what, enough's enough. I can't uh, live this life anymore. I'm going to do it my own way. Jesus ran to his father and prayed. All through the Gospels, we see him using the word of God and praying to God, um, asking for strength, asking for direction, asking for purpose, for, for all of it. And, and he is modelling for us what we should do. And then right at the end, as I started in Matthew 26, what he says is, I don't want to die this way. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
And and make no mistake, um, God knows that you and I cannot do that on our own. We are not God in the flesh. We are not who Jesus was. But he has told us, those who put their trust in him, those who believe in the Lord Jesus, receive the spirit of Jesus. And he within us enables us to do what we otherwise could not do. All he asks of us is that we say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the only way we say that is when we come into a knowledge of who God is. That's what reading the Bible, that's what study is all about. It's not that you have to. It's not that you have this duty that I've got to read 15 minutes or half an hour or whatever it is. I've got to spend my life studying. I've got to, you know, read the books until they're just over and over and over again. No, God has given you his word, the Bible, 66 books, for the purpose of you knowing who he is. Knowing who he is and understanding how magnificent, how great, how loving, how gracious, how merciful, how forgiving he is, so that you make him big in your mind, make him huge. And when he becomes bigger, when you see him for the great and glorious God that he is, everything around you takes on its proper perspective. Now, that's not easy. Of course not. It's not easy. And we have to train our minds to do these things. We have to deliberately make choices uh, because we believe that making those choices are going to strengthen us and establish us and give us the peace and the joy that we need to live in a, in a world, let's face it, that is spiralling out of control. I think last time uh, I read from First Peter chapter 5, um, uh, and Peter actually, Peter, who was one of the um, disciples with Jesus in his last uh, hours, actually, he's the one who will write this, First Peter chapter 5 from verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Jesus put those verses into practice. He understood that Satan is a roaring lion, prowling around, trying to destroy us. Um, and he humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Think of that, uh, what he prays in Matthew and in Luke. Lord, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He came to his father and he humbled himself before him. And what happened? He was exalted in the proper time. Jesus was raised up in, in the right time on the third day, and he is now and forever the God-man, standing at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us, and we are enabled to come boldly to the throne of grace because he has done what he has done, because he followed the will of his Father. We can come boldly and find help in our time of need. Jesus put these verses in First Peter chapter 5 into practice. And of course, Jesus went forward then with peace into 
uh, into the garden, continued on into the garden where he's arrested. Uh, he's taken by Caiaphas, the high priest, and he's interrogated. He's beaten. He's scourged with whips. Um, he uh, wears a crown of thorns. He's slapped. He's spat upon. All of the degradation and humiliation that he knew in advance was coming. And yet he willingly did that because he subjected himself. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God because he knew that God's plan was the best plan. He went forward with peace, the peace that comes from being settled with God and in God. And now all we can do is ask ourselves the questions, do I believe in Jesus? Have I put my trust in him? You know, knowing that uh, God is out there somewhere or that someone is out there somewhere and that he's bigger than you and and hearing about Jesus and uh, knowing that um, there was a person called Jesus and he really did die on a cross, that's not believing in Jesus. Believing, having faith is, uh, is two things. It's a noun and it's a verb. Um, having faith is, is something that you hold on to, but living faith, living faith out is something that you do. And you do it when you are afraid, when you are tempted, when you are tested. You exercise the faith that you've been given and you choose to put your trust in the one who gave it to you. Jesus is now exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, forever the victorious, glorious conqueror, the saviour of the world. And I must ask myself, do I want his will for my life? And if you say yes to that question, where will you find his will? <laughs> Only in, in his word. That's what the Bible teaches us right from the beginning. If you want to know God, you must look in the place that he's revealed himself. And he revealed himself, I think we talked about this in the first session, generally in creation, and then in his word, and finally in Jesus. And we read about Jesus when we read the word of God. In fact, John will say, John's gospel, uh, he'll begin in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then you come down to verse 14 and you read, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Finding out about God and about Jesus is the way that we uh, uh, are enabled, enabled to make God or give God the place that is rightfully his. And I don't mean that you're giving him something that he doesn't already have, but what I'm saying is that what you start to do is see everything in your life, everything, even yourself, in the right perspective. Now, when you're afraid, um, you run to the one who said to you, don't be afraid. Now, when, you, uh, when you're tempted to sin or to uh, live for yourself, now you go to him and say, Lord Jesus, I know you've faced this, this temptation. Please help me to overcome. And what do you think the answer to that will be? The answer will be, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And I will give you the victory over all the things that tempt you. Remind yourself of Jesus' words to you. I think we talked about them last day, last time. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In this world you will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Father, I thank you that your word is um, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I thank you that Jesus is the word and therefore I can know that knowing him, I can find out about him in your word. I thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and that it cuts straight through bone and marrow as Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4. Lord, thank you that you have given me a way to know you, a specific way. Help me to connect the dots, Lord. Help me to see the reality of what's going on. Help me to make you big, Lord, in my mind, so that when I am afraid, I run to you. When I am tempted, I run to you. Lord God, help me to get the right perspective. Thank you, Father, that you will answer that prayer. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out our website at desiringtruth.org.uk for more information on events and series like this. God bless.